2: OMG, we are back. We sure are. We are live. Oh my God. Is this thing on? Is this thing right? on? <laughs> it's been a while. I mean, it hasn't really been a while. We act like we've been
1: gone forever, but it's only been like a week.
2: No, it's been like two weeks,
1: right? I mean, <laughs> it's been seriously. A week that we, we left. Yeah. But the, the previous week was Christmas. So let's be clear. You know, we could have been lo- gone for longer, but we decided we
2: chose to come back because... We love you. Let's be honest, here. They probably wouldn't care if we were back or not. <laughs> that is not no, fair. but I do think it. I do think um, a lot of people are feeling this way. Where if you had a little bit of a break, you're like, did you even take a vacation at mm-hmm. this point? Um, because I most definitely woke up this morning feeling the exact same way. But we're here to give you everything you need to know. And honestly, I'm excited. It felt good being back in the swing of things.
1: Oh, yeah. And there's a lot happening in the news. So we wouldn't have known what to do with ourselves, Ryan. All this breaking news would have happened. We're like,
2: what do we do with this information? I know. It's wild. It's wild. And if it was a regular year, I feel like it would have felt a lot longer, the break. But because this year and time doesn't exist, it just feels like everything's just... Collide it together. Exactly.
1: You know, we're feeling it. We're sending you positivity. Uh, and and thank you for hanging out with us as we get into 2021. Coming up on the show, apps to hack your resolutions and help you create a quarantine routine. Uh, plus, everything you need to know about the Trump leaked audio from the weekend, we've got you covered. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour, the georgia senate runoff election is tomorrow vp pence spoke in georgia today amidst controversy over that phone call between uh, president trump and secretary of state brad raffensperger that got released sunday you know
3: i know we all we all got our doubts about the last election and i want to assure you i share the concerns of millions of americans about voting irregularities and i promise you come this wednesday we'll have our day in congress we'll hear the objections We'll hear the evidence, but tomorrow is Georgia's day.
1: Okay, and we'll be covering all of that tomorrow on the show as well as the results come in from Georgia. Now, lots more happening from Georgia. Georgia's newest member of the House of Representatives, Marjorie Taylor Greene, began her career on Capitol Hill on Sunday in Washington for the swearing-in of the new Congress. And she entered the halls wearing a trump won mask but then quickly took off the mask when she stepped onto the House floor. Now, remember, she is the QAnon congresswoman, uh, by the way. And this whole thing caused a screaming match between congressional staffers who demanded she put her mask back on. Now, in July, Speaker Nancy Pelosi mandated masks on the House floor for this 116th Congress and is likely to make similar rules for the current Congress. But those
2: rules have yet to be put in place. She's the worst. She's the one where I I remember she talked about doing this and the fact that she actually did it. I mean, she's going to be so complicit in so many murders that are going to happen if she ends up catching it and spreading it um, throughout this. And it, it sucks because it's irresponsible that she's even in the House of Representatives, um, because we know what she represents, unfortunately.
1: It reminds me of like those popular kids in high school who are problematic and then they get to college and then like freshmen, they try to pull what they pulled and people in college who are like now becoming semi-adults are like, no, what are you doing?
2: Yeah, she's a child. You're right. Yeah.
1: Now, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is proposing a law to make it a crime to sell or administer coronavirus vaccine shots to people who are trying to skip ahead in line. So don't skip ahead of the line. Don't try it. Providers can lose their license if they fraudulently administer vaccines. Now that announcement comes after one New York clinic was accused of misrepresenting itself to the state's Department of Health to obtain vaccine doses. And that was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan?
2: Alright, we got your tea report. Those pop culture stories that are trending right now. And of course, news broke last night that veteran talk show host Larry King has been hospitalized in Los Angeles with COVID-19. He, You know, of course, he has survived multiple health scares in the past, including a heart attack, a stroke, prostate, and lung cancer, and diabetes. So it's really scary to hear this news. Of course, uh, according to reports, he's been hot, hospitalized as Cedar Sinai in Los Angeles for more than 10 days. And he was, of course, moved from the IC, uh, ICU unit on Sunday, which that may mean, you know, he's up on the up and up. So we're sending him tons of love and his family as this is a very, is a very scary to hear, of course. Um, so yeah. He's old. Yeah, he is very old. So it's, it's scary to know that, and especially with all these preconditions that he has, um, that he's going through this. But let's move on because Megan McCain, she has returned to The View and she wasted no time to issue a plea to her fellow conservatives about paid maternity leave. She went on to talk about how her experience giving birth and being diagnosed with postnatal preeclampsia changed her perspective on paid maternity leave.
4: I'm I'm
1: happy she's finally seeing what needs to be done. It sucks that it takes things happening to someone to see that others need support and help.
2: I mean, we've seen this, I mean, from COVID to now this it's, it's, it's honestly on brand for most Republicans. They don't understand until it happens to them. And it's, it's annoying that she kind of was able to sit on her high horse um, on the view today to talk about this issue when she should have been talking about it way before this has happened, because it's been uh, something that's been going on for so many women um, and so many others uh, at the, you know, and, and they've been impacted by this, but guess what? Republicans don't see it until it happens to them.
1: Yeah, and I wonder, did she acknowledge or apologize for taking no, the other side?
2: she did not. But I would love to know what y'all are thinking. Let us know what your thoughts are on social at LGT Show everywhere. And of course, more Tea Report coming up next hour because you will not believe who is Hollywood's new hot couple, honey. Oh, I want to know. Okay, coming up on the show, the leaked Trump audio clip
1: talking to the Georgia Secretary state that everyone is sharing but will it matter the washington post joins us for that next let's go there
5: with shira and ryan the new
1: channel q Let's get into that audio recording that went viral yesterday. It was everywhere. It was obtained by The Washington Post, revealing President Trump urging fellow Republican Brad Raffensperger, who's the Georgia Secretary of State, to find enough votes so that Trump could overturn the state's election results. Here is a little bit of that. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find 11,780 votes, which is one
6: more that we have, because we won the state. So, so tell me, Brad, what are we going to do? Uh, we won the election, and it's not fair to take it away from us like this.
1: That was a one-hour phone call that happened Saturday and has many wondering if Trump could be implicated in a potential criminal act. Well, back with us is the first time she's back in the new year, because it's our first day back. Um, editor of The Fix for The Washington Post, Natalie Jennings. Welcome
3: back. Good to be with you this year. Didn't The Washington
2: Post break this?
3: Yes, they did. Uh, Amy Gardner, our reporter who's been following voting issues since way back before this pandemic made them super interesting, broke it yesterday.
1: That's amazing. I mean, uh, I guess it is a pretty wild phone call to listen to. And when you read the transcript, the fact that he even shared all of this with lawyers on both sides on the call. What's the most surprising thing about this? Because it's not like he reveals new information.
3: It's not. And, um, you know, the. Georgia's secretary of state and his team seemed to be really prepared for all the conspiracy theories that he floated. I think the things that were most surprising were how pretty blatant he was that he was on a hunting expedition for a specific amount of votes, just the amount that would happen to overturn the election. And also, you know, this is a real window into where his head is at right now. Um, this was not supposed to be for public consumption, so, you know, it's not totally different than what we see. Of course, we don't see him as much as we had gotten accustomed to over the last four years. We haven't seen him publicly that much, uh, but he is really obsessed by this. Um, he seems convinced that there's something out there Um probably speaks to where he's getting his information and how people are humoring him about these things that are just provably false or have already been debunked
2: yeah I mean I listened to about 30 minutes of the hour-long phone call before I just was like oh this guy's just talking in circles and it just feels like he went down a QAnon thread and this is what we're getting these are the results why aren't we hearing you know you know, pro, like high profile Republicans speaking up about this. I know a couple of them have been asked uh, specifically about this phone call, and they just completely just moved past it. But why aren't we hearing people on the Republican side speak up about this? Well, some
3: have. And remember, Brad Raffensperger himself is a Republican. Uh, the, the governor of Georgia is a Republican, and they have uh, been pretty consistent in their message that these this election was but he's not trump's like
2: he's not trump's chosen though you know
3: yeah he was he was um yes exactly um we also haven't seen um all of the republicans in the house and senate are not back in washington yet or or not in business yet so we will hear more from them as they are especially as we get closer to wednesday when the congress is supposed to certify these results so um there will be plenty of opportunities to, to talk with them and hear from them over the next couple of days um and we expect them to be put on the spot and grilled pretty heavily um some of them don't want to speak on this of course it's tough politically for them uh and so some have come out uh, pat Toomey from pennsylvania uh to call this i think a new low in this futile effort and Something even more strongly worded than that, mm. yeah. So that's one flavor of that side of the Republican spectrum. Um, of course, there is the side of the Republican spectrum that is sticking very closely to Trump and not going to castigate him on this. Yeah, of course. Again, you're hearing from Natalie
1: Jennings, the editor of the Fix for the Washington Post. Now, Democrats are already asking FBI Director Christopher Ray to begin an immediate criminal investigation into Trump. Does this call and this
3: audio warrant that? Will they have any grounds? That's to be determined. It's being debated. I think, you know, my understanding, just reading what various legal scholars have said uh, in media reports, that's what we have to go on right now, is that this definitely put President Trump into some questionable legal territory. Um, There is a law against. Um, you know, undermining a free and fair election. And it seemed pretty clearly that that is what people would use to go after Trump. Uh, Part of that, from what I understand, included proving intentionality, and that is where it can get tricky. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have to sort of prove what's in someone's head. Um, did, Did Trump know that he was speaking against the facts or did he really believe what he was saying and that of course gets
2: tricky to prove yeah it does and i just remember back in october of last year where there was all these conversations about the 25th amendment and nancy pelosi you know if if donald trump isn't fit to to longer you know do his term and it just seems like after listening to that phone call it just it, it sounded like a person that was kind of losing it do you think that's something that's going to be bought up into the conversation again or are we too close to joe biden getting into office to even worry about it at this point
3: i think we're probably so close that no one would want to go down that route i don't know it's unprecedented and i don't know how long it would take uh and we are just shy of two weeks away from Biden being sworn in. Um, Of course, after President Trump is not president, that's when he's exposed to legal liability again uh, in a way that he hasn't been. So that would be the thing to watch on that. I don't think um, the 25th Amendment is the remedy here. It's more um, criminal in nature. Uh, But again, it's really unprecedented as to whether this is prosecutable. That was uh, Natalie Jennings, editor
1: of The Fix for The Washington Post. Thanks so much. Now coming up, the Georgia Senate runoffs are happening tomorrow. What candidates are in the lead? And does the state really care about the national implications of their votes? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. The Georgia election runoffs are tomorrow, January 5th. The state has been in the national headlines as the vote will determine who wins the Senate, the Democrats or Republicans. And joining us right now is the co-host of the Gaining Ground, the New Georgia podcast, Jewel Wicker. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So what does this new Georgia look like to you in a political context?
7: You know, it's so funny because when people ask me about that, they're like, is this really the new Georgia? And I guess it depends on who you ask, right? Like people who have been here who have been doing this work will tell you that this Georgia has been here, right? There have been people of color here in Georgia that have been organizing and doing this work for decades, right? And and this movement for Georgia to flip has certainly been years in the making. But I think this is the first time on a national that we're all as a country seeing that Georgia has been able to make this shift. And I think it's kind of a blueprint for other uh, strongly Republican states uh, about what can happen when when those organizers kind of take control and and, and um, kind of organize.
2: Yeah, what I think is interesting, obviously, um, last night, those recordings, those audio recordings with uh, President Trump and trying to pressure uh, Georgia, the Secretary of State, to kind of recalculate the vote in his favor. But I was wondering, can we talk a little bit about the connection that this might have with some of the uh, Georgia candidates? Do you see any connection there? And, and, and could this possibly affect, you know, their outcome?
7: Well, you know, I think it's a good question. and I think we'll have to see. I think what we're really interested in when it comes to tomorrow's runoffs is the idea that Republicans are both trying to get out the vote for Republican voters and also be, and, but we're also hearing from like President Trump, this is a fraud. So why would people go out and vote if the voters, you know, if the process is a fraud? So we're really going to, it's going to be interesting to see if voters are deterred from coming out to the polls or whether or not they're emboldened to come out to the polls. I mean, I don't think, one thing I've learned about Georgia politics is you don't know until you know. You mm-hmm. can think you know, and and you just have no idea. Um, And so I can't call it. I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. But I do think it's going to be really interesting to see um, how Republican voters take to this, because, I mean, it's a pretty damning call. You know, (laughs) it's uh, insane to listen to. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, uh, it is. It really defines where we're at right now as a society and politically. Um, So with that said, and again, we're talking to uh, the co-host of the Gaining Ground, the New Georgia podcast, Jewel Wicker. Are we seeing any traction from any specific candidate? We've seen, obviously, a lot of money coming into the Democratic candidates uh, nationally.
7: But what's happening on the ground right now? I mean, I think both sides have just been really working to uh, energize their base. We've seen, you know, on the the Democratic side, we've had... Kamala was just here, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris was just here yesterday. We've seen Biden, President Obama has come out. Rappers like Jeezy and Jermaine Dupri have been on the um, campaign trail. And But it's been interesting on the Republican side, um, Like Governor Brian Kemp hasn't gone out with uh, Kelly Loeffler because he has been somebody who has not been, uh, the president is not a fan of him currently. Um, and so it's been really interesting to see who they um, kind of tapped to come out and campaign but they are for sure still on the campaign trail throughout Georgia trying to get out those last uh mobilization tactics before tomorrow
2: so let's talk a little bit about your podcast gaining ground the new Georgia I would love to know because obviously uh you live an intersectional life how are you all tapping into that conversation when it comes to black voters and even voter suppression that happened in the election and is continuously happening in the state
7: yeah I mean I think for me I'm a Georgia girl through and through, born and raised here. My family is from here. And so the first thing that Rembert and I had at the top of our minds when we were approached for this podcast was, oh, we just want to usher in as many local voices as possible, right? Like if we're going to do this and we're going to do this on a national scale, we want people to give us the leeway to be able to usher in as many local reporters, as many... Uh, grassroots organizers and you know pundits and politicians as possible so that we can tell the totality of this story when it comes to Black voters, Latinx voters, Asian American voters, and, and what this has looked like. Um, and, and we've been really lucky in that Tenderfoot and, and Cricket Media have been great partners in that. And they have been like, you know, you guys know Georgia. So, you know, they they've been really really receptive to all of our ideas when it comes to making sure that we were as diverse as possible. You know, I spent my twenty first so cool. birthday in Georgia. I'm from Nashville, now- honey. I've <laughs> spent a, a ton of time getting drunk
2: in the Atlanta streets. <laughs> so we we go, we gonna say that for another show.
7: <laughs> okay, okay, all right.
2: That's your credibility in Georgia. <laughs> you know, that's my credibility. You know, the streets have seen me.
1: Um, <laughs> cool. What uh, were some of the learnings while producing this podcast? Any surprises?
7: You know, what I think we really wanted to show with this podcast, even though it's on a national scale, because, you know, we have all of these people, even outside of Georgia, saying, how can we get involved in this? How do we mobilize voters in Georgia and make sure that they get out to vote? And I think the big lesson here and the big reminder here is that Georgians got it. You know, you can help and you can ask how best to help, but we don't need y'all to take over and we don't need y'all to run the show. You know, we, we mobilize voters to turn to flip the state blue in, uh, in November. And, you know, if it's going to happen again tomorrow, it's going to be because of those local grassroots organizers who know what people here in Georgia need, because this, this message, um, there's this overarching message that Georgia is going to save the country, right? That these two Democrats are, uh, elected that that, you know, it has to do with control of the Senate. And Georgia organizers have really been um, key in in reminding people that we know what Georgians want, and not that message of we're going to save the country is not what they want. They want to know about Are we going to get jobs? What's the economy going to look like? All of those things.
1: All right. Well, that was Jewel Wicker, host of Gaining Ground, the New Georgia podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Now coming up on the show, our resolutions for 2021, why it might not be the magical cure we're all looking for to erase 2020. We'll be back in two minutes.
5: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're about to talk about
1: resolutions for 2021. And later in the show, we're going to get into resolutions versus intentions and why you should differentiate the two and possibly lean towards intentions. But in the meantime, let's go there. Resolutions, what are yours, Ryan?
2: I don't have any. I am hey. refusing to set them because I think, yeah, I just don't want to. I think it it, it brings in too much pressure to try to accomplish something. And I think right now, the most important thing after a year like 2020 is to really just focus on yourselves and Mm. and, and focus and being present in the moment. And I think a lot of times setting these intentions or resolutions um, can be a little overwhelming and can, can create a lot of noise instead of having you focus on the moment. I'm oh like, Ryan,
1: I'm like, I feel like I'm a mom who is about to cry. That was so touching. Oh, thanks. thanks. I really enjoyed that. You know, it's something that I think about every year. Like I tend to give in and write things down mm-hmm. more. I think intentions, because I did find that as I was looking towards goal setting every year and every year, if I, didn't hit that goal or maybe something else happened that still I enjoyed, but it wasn't that it would be disappointing. And I wouldn't kind of appreciate what I was getting. Right. Exactly.
2: Exactly. (laughs) And I think I, I I feel like the one big takeaway, and I feel like we talked about it obviously before our break, but like my one big takeaway for 2020 was like, I genuinely don't really have any complaints. Obviously, it was sad to see our world be in the place and the state that it was in. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like me personally, that year was necessary. I mean, a lot of that taught me how to adult yep. in ways and taught me how to face things right forward and relationship loss and gains. And so, like, I, I couldn't really wrap up 2020 as a terrible year. And I don't really want to take that energy um I I just, I want to, I don't want to take any negative energy into this year. Like I want to look at it and be prepared for anything that possibly could happen because I'm still a pessimist. Um, But yeah, I'm just kind of looking at it from um, a more unique lens.
7: Yeah.
1: I I think for me, if anything, the things that I'm, I'm being intentional about is not being so hard on myself. Like I tend to judge myself a lot. Mm. Right. And that, that doesn't allow me to be in the present and put my best self forward yeah. because I'm just like stuck in my head. And I know I'm not alone in that. So if anything, it's just like being kinder to myself because, Oh, and I love this. I was listening to uh, an audiobook this morning on my walk outside Ooh, look at you. and Ram Das, you know, this like spiritual teacher, he was saying how it's not about just seeing all humanity. It's about seeing your own humanity and everything you, you do mm. and how much we forget that. Right. So we are our worst and biggest critics. So I'm trying not, not to be that this year and really let go and just like kind of accept. Acceptance is huge because a lot of us want to control everything, right? We all want to control because we want to know what's coming. We yeah. want to
2: know. Yeah. And I know a lot of therapists and articles that I've been seeing online and talking about kind of how we should be viewing 2021. A lot of them are saying that we should view this year as a mental reset. And mm. I do feel like that's a little harder, uh, easier said than done. Um, but I, I have to agree. Like, I, I want to look at this like You know, can we just pretend like 2020 didn't genuinely happen, (laughs) but also acknowledge what happened, you know?
1: Exactly. So and as we wrap this up in this article on Yahoo, which was all about a gentle reminder that 2021 isn't going to be a magical cure for 2020, this psychotherapist Grace Dowd said uh, that a lot of people, as you mentioned, they want to write off 2020 as the worst year ever without realizing that 2021 is going to have its own struggles, Mm. it makes it like your mentality is black and white. It paints the world as black and white. And this year was either all good or all bad. So a more productive way to look at this year is to acknowledge that like most things in life, the year will hold both positive and negative outcomes. And guess what? You can handle
2: it. Wow. I mean, you we're going to dive that. in more into that too, because I'm, I'm really yeah. interested in the, the intention setting and what that really truly mm-hmm. means, because it sounds like it could be just like resolutions, but we'll figure it out. We have someone, an expert actually coming on to help us.
1: Yeah. That plus the habit tracking apps that could help you with your quarantine routines. More details on that next. Let's go there
5: with Shira and Ryan, the new
1: Channel Q. Coming up on the show, how to form a new habit in 2021. Get over your old ones. Plus, why intentions might be the new resolution. Ooh, um... Yes, that and more on the show in the next hour. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Top stories happening right now. Governor Baker of Massachusetts called his fellow Republicans' efforts to overturn President Trump's loss an affront to democracy.
0: I think the noise and the accusations and the commentary about challenging this or that is an affront to democracy. Into the voice of the people. We turned out in record numbers in this election to support a whole bunch of candidates.
4: Now,
1: more than 100 U.S. congressmen and at least a dozen GOP senators have battled to challenge electoral votes in key states where they continue to push unconfirmed claims of voter fraud. Trump tweeted today, not specifically addressing Baker, but saying this the surrender caucus within the Republican Party will go down in infamy as weak and ineffective guardians of our nation. Okay. okay. Now, uh, Congress convenes in a joint session on Wednesday, January 6th to confirm President elect Joe Biden's 306 to 232 electoral college win. DC's mayor has called in 340 National Guard troops as Washington, DC is preparing and warning of potentially violent protests around the Congress vote on Wednesday. Trump supporters are planning to rally tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday, seeking to boost the president's unproven claims of widespread voter fraud. And this comes from D.C.'s acting police chief Robert Conti, who said this. There are people intent on coming to our city armed. So that's happening right now in D.C. Now, let's move on to the $600 stimulus payments from the latest $900 billion coronavirus relief act. They are hitting bank accounts and mailboxes for millions of Americans. And for a few, the money won't come via direct deposit or in paper check form. OK, instead, it will be sent on a debit card. <laughs> IRS is sending some of the payments on debit cards to speed the delivery, and that's according to the agency. It also said that the format of the payment may be different from the first rounds, meaning that even if you
2: didn't get a card the first time, you might now. I mean, honestly, I I need for this to kind of happen in some ways because I moved and now I have to change my address online. There's a form that I have to fill out, which is delaying everything. It's absolutely ridiculous. And it just feels like, well, if this may be like an easier situation, I don't know. Like it makes sense. Yeah.
1: Hey, let me know if you're getting your money yet uh, at LGT show is where to hit us up. We want to know if you've gotten paid because I haven't gotten paid yet. Have you, Ryan? Why would you that. get paid? I I got paid last time.
2: <gasps> oh, y'all. She over here scamming the system. She ain't even a no. a, a citizen.
1: <laughs> I pay taxes.
2: You I know, she ain't a right. citizen. <laughs> yeah. oh my god what is god going John? on she ain't no american citizen Stop i'm starting t- fake news this, conspiracy is, this is literally what the maga supporters are saying they are talking yeah. about lock her up y'all lock her up she mm-hmm. over there getting our hard-on money hey I, you know maybe i want to be lucky did though. you vote yeah. too did you vote No,
1: actually wait <laughs> hold up actually over the holidays i i messaged my lawyer to si- to see if i could start applying for my citizenship now the debate is, should I go through a law firm or just do it myself? But I'm worried about doing it myself because I'm the type of person that would skip some of the parts, right? And then, like, they would write me back, like, sorry, after all of this, you haven't been accepted because you forgot to say your well, middle name. Well, then don't something. skip the parts. It's that simple. All right, Ryan. Let's move <laughs> into the T report. What's going on?
2: All right. It looks like Olivia Wilde has moved on from Jason Sadukas. Is that it? Sadukas? Sudeikis. Sudeikis. Oh, I was close. Sudeikis. You know, y'all, I'm I'm always getting names wrong. Um, But she is with Harry Styles now. Um, This is your tea report. Those pop culture moments trending right now. So Olivia, who is 36, and Harry, who is 26, took their romance public when they were spotted holding hands at his agent's wedding. So do we think this is too soon? Because she literally just broke up with Jason and... Is the age difference too much?
1: Okay, well, two things. One, I, I think when we hear about a breakup publicly, it, it happened probably a while back. Probably. So I don't know how too soon it is. Uh, it's never too soon when when it's the hearts. You know, maybe this is meant to be. H- how big is the age gap?
2: 36, 26, 10 years.
1: Oh. So I it's noticed. like us. It's like us. I mean, yes, then I would say the age gap is big. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, listen, uh, I think there can be that attraction. And uh, Harry Styles is an old soul and he's been through a lot. You know, a, a normal 26 year old would not be like a Harry Styles. Uh. But that said, I think that, uh, you know, the the, the things, the, the issues or the disconnect might come in later in the relationship, not during this honeymoon
6: phase.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. I, 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 I'm I, not sure, but I'm happy she's getting her groove back. That's all that really matters. But we're going to oh, move yeah. on because we have mm. some good news. Busy Phillips what? revealed mm-hmm. that her oldest child, uh, Birdie Leah, is gay. Welcome to the family, honey. Busy gave some insight into Birdie's journey, uh, journey on Thursday's episode of Busy uh, Phillips is doing her best podcast and shared that 12-year-old Birdie prefers they them pronouns and what I really loved about this is busy admitted that she even has done a bad job with pronouns when take uh talking to or about Bertie mm. um but was working on it because of how it um how important it is to their identity and I think that is super important for so many parents to hear and yeah I'm happy that she's continuously being there and showing up for her child in the way that her child deserves Yep, I really like Busy Phillips. I do too, and that's your T-Report. More coming up next hour because we have to talk about this drunk superfan who legally changed his name to Celine Dion. Yes, of course. you heard me right. Okay,
1: well, coming up on the show next, uh, can habit-tracking apps help bring some routine back to our quarantine lives? That's next.
5: Let's go there. With Shira
1: and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Our quarantine schedules have made it difficult to get into a habit or routine, but some apps are looking to change that. And why not figure it out in 2021? Because, you know, that's where it's at right now. And joining us to help us dive in is Nisha Chattel, who's a journalist and director of audience and engagement at Vox. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So in your article, you talked about this new survey from CIT Bank. It found that 43% of Americans are setting New Year's resolutions for 2021 compared to 35% who did the same for 2020. So are we more optimistic, I guess?
6: Yeah, I think that um, people are really looking for a fresh start after, you know, kind of a terrible year universally almost for everyone last year. Um, People are, are really, it seems like, craving a fresh start. Um, new habits bringing a little bit more structure into their lives after spending you know the last nine months um, largely at home um, so there yeah so the surveys found there's definitely been an increase in people making resolutions this year
2: yeah so let's start from the beginning though so with your research how are habits even formed
6: um, you know I talked to um, a couple different experts when I originally wrote this piece. And actually, um, an interesting thing is that I wrote this piece a couple years ago, and then I actually revisited it this year and and did an update to it um, in light of the the pandemic and and quarantine and how that's um, changing our habits. Um, One of the experts I originally talked to is is Charles Duhigg, who um, is a pretty well-known expert on habits. He wrote a book called The Power of Habit. um, And he sort of defined habits as, you know, there's kind of a basic structure of a cue, a routine, and a reward, Um, and he calls this the habit loop. So he talks about how basically, you know, for a person to be successful at creating habits, you have to figure out like what the right cues are for you to remember to do this new habit, and then also what's the right reward.
1: Um, yeah, because we're all different. Right. And, and I do like how you uh, mention how people fit into one of four tendencies when it comes to habit yeah. formation. So what are those so we can understand where we all fit?
6: Yeah. So that tendency framework comes from um, another expert I talked to for the story, Gretchen Rubin, who's also like a pretty well-known expert in, in this area. Um, she wrote this book called The Four Tendencies. And basically, she says you fall into like one of four Uh, patterns in terms of how you, um, like develop habits. So you're either, um, an upholder. An upholder is is the type of person who's really internally um, accountable and intrinsically motivated. So if they say, you know, I made a promise to myself that I'm going to get up and run every day at six a.m., they do that because they made a promise to themselves and they will uphold that commitment. The other, the next type is um, obligers, which I'm definitely an obliger. Obligers are people who are good with external accountability. So there are people who are like, well, I promised my friend I would get up and meet her at mm. 6 a.m. to run. So I have to go because I don't want to disappoint my friend or let her down. That kind of accountability has worked really well for me of like promising your friend or having a buddy or like signing up for a workout class where there's um, like a penalty fee if you cancel and you don't want to pay that fee. Uh, so then there's questioners, which is the third type. These are people that need to understand the rationale behind um, you know, behind why they should do something. So they they need to understand scientific research, and they need to, like, understand the data behind something to feel motivated to do it. Uh, and the last, um, the last type in the four tendencies is uh, rebels who, um, you know, tend to reject rules and obligations uh, from other people. So they don't like to be told what to do, and they really need to uh, they really need to want to do something on their own um, and, and need to find their own way to do it versus um, somebody else's rules or structures or um, frameworks.
1: So fascinating. Again, we're talking to Anisha Chatel, who's a journalist and director of audience and engagement at Vox, about starting new habits in the new year.
2: You know, a lot of these things would have coaches in person, right? You would get a coach in person, but now it's pivoting to apps. But are the apps actually helping? Are they working?
6: Yeah, I think it really, you know, I think it really depends. So part of it is that, like, everybody has a different style. And so all these apps rely on different, you know, different types of of styles and different forms of accountability. So one thing is, like, finding the app that works for you. Like, some people like the, the streak method of, like, I get on a streak of practicing Spanish every day and I don't want to break the chain, you know, I'm at 20 days or whatever. Um, some people feel really motivated by that. Some people need... Um, you know, pings and reminders. Some people need uh, accountability from someone in like a more community-based app. So part of it is like, Because everyone has these different tendencies, you need to find the app that works for you. And and, um, having the wrong app might not work for you, right? Um, So it's sort of figuring out the thing, the app that is tailored to your style and what you respond to.
1: And just quickly, as you wrap it up, are there even two that you could recommend? One that maybe, and I know there are some that cost a bit because it's like having a coach
6: with you. And then one that's maybe free, but can help. Yeah. I'm currently using an app called Done. Done. It allows you to do three habits uh, for free. Um, so I found that to be, that works well for me because you don't really want to be trying to build a ton of new habits all at once anyway. So three is like a manageable amount. Um, I think it's a really nice app. Um, and then I also like this app called Streaks, which allows you to, it's kind of the methodology I was just talking about of don't break the chain. It, you you create a streak of, of doing something every day and you're trying to build this like long-term streak. And then you get to a certain point where you don't want to break it because you've been doing something for X amount of days. Um, and it's a, it's a great motivator, I think.
1: All right. Well, that was Nisha Chattel, journalist and director of audience and engagement at Vox. Thanks so much and best of luck with your new habit. Thank you. Happy New Year. You too. Coming up on the show, how to set intentions without setting yourself up for failure and disappointment. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. It's the new year and everyone is setting resolutions. But is it time that we throw resolutions out the door once and for all? What would be a good alternative? Back with us is Dr. Alfie. She's the founder of the Acoma Project and host of the Couched in Color podcast. Thanks again for being here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's always nice to be with you two lovely humans. Oh, we love you. So what is your take on this? Like, what do you do yourself? And, and then I want to hear what you are advising for
4: your patients. Yeah. So what I do is nice. I say, reset and refresh. That's what I say, because I feel like resolutions is too much pressure, right? Because the resolution is always something about turning us into like some perfect version of ourselves. And then by three weeks in January 21st, you're like, I'm terrible. And so I tell people, I just say, just refresh and reset which is what I tell people, and it's also what I do. So what the refresh and reset is just literally practicing things like being grateful for what I have, taking a moment to look around the room, like what do I have that I'm grateful for, being grateful for my family's health, being grateful for my own health, and grateful for the lessons that I've learned. So that's a little bit of what I do, but refresh and reset is it for me.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that. We talked a little bit about this earlier in the show, and I am doing the same thing. I don't, I'm not setting a resolution, but I do want to – uh, kind of talk a little bit about the resetting and refreshing. I think it, it's going to be particularly hard to really kind of just reset from 2020. So what are you recommending people do in that sense? Because it, it feels like there's just too much that we're still tied
4: to last year, and we might be for a while. Totally. I, I mean, I like that. I like the idea of it and being realistic. Like that's the reality that every day something happens. Like, let's not even talk about what I saw on the news yesterday from the Washington Post. We're not gonna go there. Um, but it's you see it, it doesn't ever stop. And so you are constantly bombarded with things that I always come back to. You have to be present in this moment. That stuff is there, it's not going anywhere, it's going to be there. 2020 was hard on so many levels, like incalculably hard. It was, like, it, was, it was nuts. And so you recognize that at the same time, you don't live there. You allow yourself to live right where you are in this moment today. And I learned from Shira, listening to her, this idea of letting the thoughts flow in. Mindfulness teaches you that you let the thoughts flow in, but you let them drift right back out, mm. right? You don't fight them. You don't try to wrestle with them. You just allow them to be. And I think what you learn in that process is that the thoughts alone are not gonna like break you apart it's the feeling that you attach and the tension that you attach to those thoughts. So if you separate and allow them to flow, I think that moves you further forward without being stuck on what happened before and in the past.
1: Yeah, it's so important. Dr. Alfie, again, is with us. But say you have goals, you have things that you want to accomplish in this year, right? There are timelines. How do you approach it without it feeling like a burden sometimes, or like it might end up being a disappointment?
4: It will sometimes feel like a burden or a disappointment. One of the things I always try to say to people is, you know, when we talk about positive psychology and we talk about mindfulness, meditation and being present and I don't know, yoga practice and breathing and all those things. I think sometimes people get the impression that you're always supposed to feel happy and positive emotions 100% of the time. No, because that's, that's what they tell different- you.
2: I mean, but that's also <laughs> what they tell you. Everybody <laughs> acts they like they're you. at peace and all this crap. <laughs> right. It's exactly, I mean, it's the reason why people have that perception of them.
4: That's true. You're exactly right. Cause that's what we're taught. You are exactly right. I think what, you know, to counter, to balance that out, you have, I think we do have to think about it like two, ba- like two sides of a scale. You're never always gonna be this way or this way. Or perfectly balanced. There's always going to be like some turmoil or some some negative emotions to balance out the positive emotions. So it's just being comfortable with the idea that you will feel those negative emotions. And as long as you're always working towards the the best things for yourself, taking care of your mental health, taking care of your physical health, meditation, yoga, whatever your practices are, then those negative feelings are not going to last forever. I'm hesitating because I don't want to say they'll kill you. Right. And I don't want people to walk away th- because, you know, sometimes the thoughts get so heavy. People do want to do things like. Right. They have suicidal ideation. But the thoughts alone are not the things that are going to break you apart. It's what you attach to. them. Yeah. So you can have goals, but be OK with not meeting them. It's okay. It's about mindset. You got no, I, mindset is really important. I agree with all, I agree with everything that
2: is being said, but I also think about how there is a sense of comfortability, um, yeah. in the way that if someone has gotten so comfortable in the way that they they're thinking and yeah. it's, it can be difficult to think any other way because that, that place feels like home. It
4: feels comfortable. Yeah. Um, How do you get out of that? How do you build a new home? Yes, you practice. It is all about the practice. Remember, you don't just fall into being comfortable with with, with whatever that mindset is that you're in. You worked your way into that. Whoever we are, we work our way into that. And so the same way you work yourself into that, I always tell people, give yourself the benefit of knowing you have the agency. You have it within. You have the capacity to work yourself into another way of thinking. But it takes practice. It's like like losing weight, right? Like you don't just wake up one day, oh, I weigh too much. I've decided and all the weight comes off. You have to work at it. The same way we worked our way up in weight, we got to work our way back down. So it's just an active practice in being conscious and paying attention and focused and doing it Regularly. Ah, love it. Th- three words. Do
1: the work. That should be the name of our podcast today. Do the work. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Alfie, appreciate you as always. Uh, again, the founder of the Akoma Project and the host of the Couch in Color podcast. Go check it out. Have a beautiful day. You too. Now coming up over the holidays, actor Kamel Nangiani surprised social media with his buff transformed bod. Why some people's remarks were called out as racist. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Kumail Nanjiani. Okay, so he's an actor, comedian, known for roles in the show Silicon Valley, the big sick. He's Pakistani-American, typically played the nerdy characters, right? Because he was a, I would say he was a, a thin guy, right? He, he, was, he was a, a nerdy guy. I mean, thin, Silicon Valley,
2: guy. that that yes. show. I mean, he, I think there's something to be said about the nerds who become hot. Right. Totally. And it's alarming sometimes.
1: It is. And and so he alarmed first people in 2019 when he started to bulk up. But then his recent bulk up was just next level. Right. So he posted over the holiday weekend a picture of him and it sparked a lot of unfounded steroid rumors. And then others then slammed those folks saying, hey, that's racist. So are we being racist towards Kumail Nanjiani? Does this bring up a bigger issue?
2: Yeah, I do think it does because I think we've seen how Chris Evans, Chris Pratt, or any of these kind of white male superheroes—they get praised for having this sort of uh, what the kids call glow up. They, you know, they get to be sexy and they have the abs, and no one ever throws out steroid rumors. And Kumail has actually been quite detailed about his transformation and saying that he has a whole team and a complete lifestyle change that he had to get uh, to make to get to this point. And so I think what we're seeing here is um, often how we see black and brown actors are treated in this industry. Um, Hasan Minaj reminds me of um, towards the end of last year A clip from an old Vanity Fair interview where he was talking about, it was like a a lie detector test, and he was rating Dax Shepard, and they asked him, like, on a scale of one to ten, how hot is Dax Shepard? And he went into explaining about how Dax and a lot of other white actors have this ability to be considered, you know, the hot guy in the romantic comedies, or they get to have Hmm. these moments, and they're just kind of like, just a little basic, and people put them on pedestals, whereas when you see, you know, black or brown actors, they have to have have like these chiseled bodies, the V cuts, and they have to be just perfect for them to even be considered by society attractive. And I think we really need to start talking about this on a bigger scale because it's it's a microaggression, it's racist, and it's something that I think we, we're going to start seeing people demand to stop because it's just annoying that a lot of these people don't get the opportunity like a Kumail or a Hasan Minhaj. They don't get the opportunity to be just... Like these romantic comedy type of guys are just be considered like attractive for what they're doing without these stigmas being placed on them. Yeah. It's gross.
1: And that's why Kumail ended up doing the big sick. It was a romantic comedy. He created it himself. That's what ends up happening. They create the roles for themselves because they're not being cast in them. But by the way, uh, he went through this transformation for his role in Marvel's upcoming Eternals, co-starring Angelina Jolie and mm-hmm. Kit Harrington, which brings up another um, issue is like, we we don't see a lot of diversity in these superhero movies. We're starting to. Yeah, we, have, we in are. In the past few years, we have started. But in general, the fan base hasn't been necessarily diverse either.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, the fan base is racist as hell. I mean, they hate it when Zendaya was, uh you know, Mary Jane and Spider-Man. They hate it when, like, just black or brown folks or the characters are changed because it's not based on the comics. Well, guess what? All of this stuff is, like, fiction. It's it's not real. And, you know, anybody, any actor can portray the character to this likelihood this that's what an actor does and so it it really um reveals the racism that is in that community um and it sucks that Camille has to deal with that and like if it comes out that he is doing steroids then that's another conversation I hope he becomes safe and stop does doing all that stuff but As of now, I know he's been very open about his experience and the big change that he's made in his life to achieve those goals.
1: Well, listen, Kumail Nanjiani, enjoy your hot bod. Enjoy being jacked. Who knows how long it will last?
2: I mean, oh, my God. He a lot to keep up. Can you imagine cutting out carbs and and, and sweets? Oh, my goodness. Hells no. Not even in (laughs) 2021.
1: 2021 can't make me do it. Uh, Coming up on the show, more on the Instagram account gays over covid that went viral over the holidays. That's next.
5: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new channel
1: Q. Coming up on the show, the Instagram account calling out the gays for partying during covid. Plus the cutest engagement between two nurses on our Yas Queen of the Day.
2: Wow. I mean, honestly, I am here for the call out and the celebration.
1: Exactly, a mix of everything here. Let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. In a televised address, the Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, announced a third new lockdown across England. Now, uh, earlier, the UK's chief medical officers moved the COVID-19 alert level to level five, the highest possible, on the day when the UK announced more than fifty-eight thousand cases
5: since the pandemic began last year. The whole United Kingdom has been engaged in a great national effort to fight COVID. And there's no doubt that in fighting the old variant of the virus, our collective efforts were working and would have continued to work. But we now have a new variant of the virus and it's been both frustrating and alarming to see the speed with which the new variant is spreading. Our scientists have confirmed this new variant is between 50 and 70% more transmissible. That means you're much, much more likely to catch the virus and to pass it on.
1: And also Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon announced stricter COVID-19 restrictions, also today to combat the increasing spread of the virus. The new rules effective from midnight on Tuesday until at least the end of January include a legal requirement for everyone in Scotland to stay at home except for essential purposes. And congrats to Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who won a fourth non-consecutive term to lead the House Sunday. She's the first woman to be Speaker leading the House from 2006 to 2011. And since the Democrats took back the House in 2018.
2: Yeah, I mean, this was okay news. I was like, that's sucks in some ways i'm interested in seeing a lot of the hot takes online is kind of like it it seems like it's a it's time to move forward and maybe see someone else there but congratulations to her anyway
1: it'll happen uh i think next round i think we need some the people are feeling like the need for some security and stability right now as we move into this new
2: phase yeah because we just i don't think we i think a lot of people are losing their faith and they can't really count on uh, you know, Democrats to do what needs to be done in some but, sense. But, I, you know, it, it's difficult.
1: She did hold her own. She has hold, held her own through a really tough time. So it'll be interesting to see what she does in this phase. Now, uh, before he leaves office, President Donald Trump is set to award the nation's highest civilian honor to one of his most vocal political allies, Representative Devin Nunes of California. Gross. Yep, the White House released a statement saying, quote, Nunes is a public servant of unmatched talent, unassailable integrity, and unwavering resolve. He uncovered the greatest scandal in American history. Okay. And that was what's training this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan?
2: Okay. So the online sensation that became Ratatouille, the TikTok musical. Ra- Ratatouille. 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 Oh, he said Tuli. Who cares? It's the way I pronounce it. I'm from the South. Just because you speak French don't mean I gotta of, speak French a, a, too.
1: Isn't that Italian ratatouille?
2: No, I think it's French. The movie was based in France.
1: Oh, we need a Google now. Okay, continue.
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, before I was rudely interrupted, the musical, the TikTok musical, has raised over $1 million for the Actors Fund organization and struggling performers impacted by the pandemic. This is your T-Report and an early Yes Queen, you know, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. So, the musical premiered on uh, on the social media platform New Year's Day and featured household names, including Wayne Brady, Titus Burgess, Adam Lambert. Um, the news of its monetary success was announced Saturday on the production's Twitter page. Um, the TikTok community saw the project go from just a quaint effort started by a user to the 2007 Disney Pixar film to a blown, a full-blown event in a matter of weeks. So, tickets to see the production went for just five dollars a piece. So, meaning. Over 200,000 tickets have been snapped up. So supporters, if you still want to catch it, uh, can catch the show. Um, Tickets will be available to purchase through January 4th, which is today. So if you missed it, sorry, but you got a couple more hours. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and the Twitter is at Ratatusical.
2: Yes, I mean, that's cute. You could have just Google searched it. But this may be the new way that we see Broadway, to be quite honest, because that's a lot of money. Uh, When you compare it to what we see in Broadway, a successful Broadway show, that's the type of money that they're making, like the Hamilton. So to see something like this happen, I think it gives a lot of, um, you know, Broadway a light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. I think it was very innovative uh, and it was a very cool approach. It'll be interesting to see if they can replicate it. And by the way, speaking of Google, Ratatouille, you, you won some points, Ryan. It's uh, a Thanks. French movie. It, um, it's about a road in dreams of becoming a French chef. Shh. Everyone a- knows what
2: this movie is wait. about.
1: No, people were the top Google searches. It was when I wrote it. Is Ratatouille the movie French
2: or Italian? Well, it's based off of a dish. I'm not alone. It's about a rat, and it's <laughs> French. Okay, now let's move on to the story that we all want to know, because a bar worker in the UK legally changed his name to Celine Dion after a night of drinking and watching one of the Divas' concerts online. So, Celine the new Celine said that he drank quite a bit during Christmas and fell asleep while streaming, um, the Canadian Celine Dion's concert. Well, several days later, he got paperwork in the mail that said that he had legally changed his name to Celine Dion. So, uh, to put this into perspective, he goes on to say that from that moment um, on New Year's Day, paparazzi started showing up at his door thinking that Celine Dion was there, which they were right, but it wasn't the right Celine Dion. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's
1: amazing. I wonder if he like, you know, if you remember the next day that he did it or if he was know
2: <laughs> He said he almost passed out because he was shocked. Honestly, this guy needs to go to some like maybe double A or, or what's, you know, alcoholics, anonymous because honey this seems like a little intense i've never done something where i get that blacked out where i change my name and do legal documentation work like who's doing that work. yeah he spent up uh, to put this in pr- pr- perspective he literally spent 120 dollars u.s dollars that's a huge fee so that's your tea report let us know your thoughts at um lgt show everywhere and of course check out these stories at weirdchannelq.com honey because i'm finished spilling
1: Okay, well, a new Instagram account, Gays Over COVID, is going viral for calling out gays partying over the holidays and even frontline workers. More on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. There's this Instagram account that has caught all of our attention. It's called Gays Over COVID. It was set up in the summer to highlight gay men going to large parties, but it took on a life of its own, following a ton of gay circuit parties that were happening during the holidays in Puerto Vallarta, along with other regions Around the country and actually internationally, it's even outing nurses and doctors traveling while promoting COVID guidelines. The account got temporarily deactivated this morning, but many are trying to figure out the identity of the poster. And joining us right now is Dr. James Simmons, back from the holidays, but you're actually working. You're coming to us from the hospital.
0: Yeah, yeah. I actually, um, uh, as a part of self-care, I uh, allow myself ten minutes to stop and eat every day. So uh, I will spend a few of those minutes with y'all, and I. Don't I don't know if I'm the one, the breaker of, of new news for you, but Gaze Over COVID is back. She's back online.
4: What?
2: Oh, she is? Quick, yeah. right? Oh, that was really yep. quick. Well, I I think that what's interesting about this is um the response to it um obviously we've seen and we can have these discussions about the privilege of certain groups of gays and uh, you know i don't sugarcoat nothing but the white gays are showing out um specifically the circuit party white gays where they put out um something where they were saying you know we want to reward someone to 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 stop this gaze over COVID to find out the real identity. What's the issue here? Why aren't people understanding the moment in the time that we're in, from your perspective?
0: If I had the question to that, I we we might be out of this pandemic because people would stop doing things like traveling internationally and going to large circuit parties, um, which is part and parcel. An issue that is causing this to continue—it really is. Um, you know, I think the nature of human behavior is very, very interesting. And sometimes, when you tell people not to do something, um, they do it anyway. I think every—I think COVID fatigue is very, very real. We, we all feel it in our own particular ways. But when you t- add COVID fatigue on with a certain level of deservedness, right, of entitlement. I think people feel like, oh, I deserve to do this. I'm young. I'm otherwise healthy. I haven't been able to travel all year. And they go and they do some mess like this. And it is absolutely, it brought me to tears over the weekend. I I mean, I was absolutely crushed, not only seeing other healthcare providers out there doing this, nurses, Mm. doctors, pharmacists, whoever, but even like Mike Schultz, and I will say his name, who was a nurse who was intubated, had to have a G-tube put in, nearly lost his life because of COVID early on. And he was one of those nurses in Puerto Vallarta saying things like, well, I guess it's survival of the fittest. No, if it wasn't for people like me, if it wasn't for other nurses, other medical professionals, keeping his butt alive, he wouldn't be where he is. And then to turn around and have the audacity to say something like, well, I guess it's survival of the fittest. No, you weren't going to survive without these resources, which now we don't have because we are way over capacity. People are dying in the parking lots of hospitals in Southern California right now because this pandemic is out of control. And part of the reason this pandemic is out of control is people just like the people that gaze over COVID are calling out on that account.
1: Yeah. Again, uh, you're hearing from Dr. James Simmons right now. Do you think this is a breach of privacy? Is it too much to call them out and shame them publicly?
0: Really, really nuanced conversation, isn't it, about whether we shame people and how that works? You know, I for someone who's been in sort of the sexual public health space for a long time, shaming people uh, to... Stay on top of their sexual health doesn't work, right? And we, as a community, particularly as a queer community, we have experienced a lot of shame shame ourselves, shame from uh, heterosexual communities, you know, shame those of us who are brown, you know, all, all different types of kind of shame, right? We can go into that. It is generally not a tool that changes people's behavior. However, I feel like this is categorically different in that Mm -hmm. changing your own individual behavior or shaming someone over something that they cannot control, like maybe their ableism, for instance. So if someone is disabled Mm -hmm. in a wheelchair, has a different ability, and we shame that person for that, we shame them for their weight, which, you know, we now know research shows about 70% of the cause of our obesity is out of our control. So there's lots of things that we shame people for that they are really not in control of. You are in control of buying a ticket, knowingly, willfully traveling, exposing yourself and others in large gatherings, potentially getting a disease and bringing it back to a place. A lot of those people who were in Puerto Vallarta and Miami and Houston and all those other places that have those big parties are here from Southern California. And now they're going to come back to Southern California, where it has been determined by the World Health Organization that this is the most dangerous place on earth right now for COVID. So if it... If we get to shame, if shaming is the thing, like our last resort, like me, when I have to intubate somebody and put them on a ventilator, if that's the last resort to keep you alive, well, maybe shaming might be a last resort to get people to pay attention and listen that this is real and their actions have consequences.
2: Yeah, I think we should be shaming. I genuinely do, because a lot of this is coming from privilege, and people feeling like the rules don't apply to them, and I think we see this every single time um, in any case, Uh, but when it comes to a pandemic that is killing so many people, um, it seems quite responsibly, the most responsible thing to do to shame these folks and put them out there if they want to go party and they want to go to their underground you know, places to have their their times. Yeah, there needs to be some consequences at this point. And so I just appreciate you uh, for being on the front lines, saving lives, doing what you have to do, um, and really going through this trauma as well. You're seeing people die. Um, And I, I think we really need to be taking... Um, not taking that for granted. It's
1: heartbreaking. Well, Dr. James Simmons, thanks again for being here and sharing that with us.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, y'all.
1: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel
5: Q. We're
1: wrapping up the shows we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Now, hundreds of nursing home residents in New York received handmade best wishes for 2021 thanks to the
2: kindness of a five-year-old girl. Oh, my God. So sweet. Children are already doing better than us exactly. in the New Year. How embarrassing.
1: Ariana Chopra is from Vestal, New York. She spent her winter vacation making 200 New Year's cards for the residents of a local nursing home. Well, you and I were popping bottles, you know. Uh, to start the new year, she was making these uh, cue cards.
2: Well, I mean, if I wasn't popping bottles, maybe I would have done this. She just doesn't, she can't pop bottles. So let's not, you know, just make some assumptions here. If she wanted to pop bottles, maybe she would pop bottles instead of making cards. That doesn't well, make here, me less of a person, of <laughs> a good person. Here
1: she is uh, sharing why she decides to do this. So
0: in my mind... I got an idea of making cards for the people in the nursing home who cannot go out, meet their friends, and meet their family because of the coronavirus.
1: I mean, so sweet, so cute. Definitely
2: inspires all of us
1: adults to do better
2: that's all i can she's really actually really cute and all of these are hand-drawn there's multiple Mm -hmm. her hand had to be like ready to fall off but because but i also think that kids they just love to color and all the things that kids do i guess i don't know you know there's
1: adult coloring books too my uh, friends back in montreal my hometown bought them because they just need a break from their kids
2: (gasps) did you say that she used her money in her piggy bank
1: no, but you've just added that information.
2: Oh, my God. Which makes God. her even more She sweet. broke open her piggy bank. There is a photo that we'll put possibly on our social at LGT Show where she broke her piggy bank to buy the residents a New Year's cake as well as a decorative Santa Claus and a vase. Come wow! On. And I mean, there's like at least, you know, $20 in there. So she had and to quarters. spend a lot of coin. <laughs>
1: Yeah, all right. So yes, Queen, for act of kindness. But let's wrap it up with this. I love this story. South Dakota nurse Eric Vanderlee Lee got a surprise marriage proposal while administering the COVID-19 vaccine to his boyfriend, Robbie Vargas. Here's so that. It's now. been kind of a crazy year. Lena,
0: and it's know. been
7: really a fun ride to have
0: you in my life. So I just want to know god is this
1: is <laughs> happening did you guys know this was- <laughs> <No>! <laughs> congrats to the beautiful couple i love that 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 was captured on camera and a sweet way to end a crazy year and that does it for our Yas queen of the day
2: yes queen
1: and our show our first show of 2021 we really started off strong ryan
2: I mean, I think we did. I think we have a lot to cover. There's so much even when we were on break that I was like, oh, my God, I wish we were in front of a mic talking about it. But we're back and we are better than ever.
1: We are. And tomorrow, of course, in the show, the Georgia Senate runoffs are happening. Will we bring you everything happening around that? All the news you need to know. Plus, should pregnant women get the covid-19 vaccine? that and more on tomorrow's show as always a reminder you can listen to our show and interviews as a podcast just go to the radio.com app or where podcasts are available and search let's go there what are you doing with your life we are sending you love and light and honey remember to slay and stick around for love line with dr chris he's gonna have author ian jenkins on today to talk about his new book three dads and a baby that's next Let's go there with Shira Lazar and Ryan Mitchell on Channel Q. The next show, we're bringing you the latest from the Georgia Senate runoffs.
2: Plus, vaccines are rolling out too slowly. So could half dosing help? Listen live weekdays, 4
5: to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Channel Q. Or on your
4: own time with the Let's Go
5: There podcast on the radio.com app.